Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. This weekend is Retro World Expo in Hartford, Connecticut, and I am really fired up. I've spent the past couple of months announcing awesome people who are going to be there that would love to come say hi to everybody, but today I just want to give a shout out to a few very important groups of people that are going to be there. First and foremost are all the unique artists and vendors that you could really only find at these expos. Shout out to Shadowbox Guy, now that I have a house I'm finally going to buy one of yours, and you know. So uh, while I always mention cool things like that, I'm being very serious in that a lot of cool artists and artwork is there, and I really enjoy always walking around seeing those. And of course, also just the vendors. I mean, the vendors are half the reason why we go anyway, just to buy the cool stuff that they have. And while I did announce some new vendors that are going to be there, shout out to the people that have always been grinding through and bringing awesome stuff at decent prices, especially my friends over at Forgotten Heads, because you all are my favorite heads, and I can't wait to see you as well. And I know this is so freaking cheesy, and you're all going to probably laugh at me and groan when I say this, but a shout out to you, because all of the stuff that we do doesn't mean anything without you there to hang out, and you're all the best. So I'm really excited to see all of you, but let's jump in. we got a lot of cool stuff to talk about this week. First up is a doozy. Nick from Pandemonium Reviews just released a four and a half hour documentary about Virtua Cop, and it is awesome. It came out last week, but I wanted to wait till I had watched every minute of it before I did an article and wrote about it and talked about it here on the podcast, and I absolutely loved it. It was worth the entire thing. I think this could have very easily been like a docu-series on Netflix or Amazon or something, and I thought it was great. I originally loved the NBA Jam documentary that he did. I thought that was always kind of going to be my favorite, but Nick definitely outdid himself. And not only was the documentary good, the people who were interviewed that were the original design team were so likable that it just, it made a great documentary even better. So I honestly can't recommend this one enough. Even if you're not the biggest Virtua Cop fan, just the story about it, the story about 90s Sega and how they managed to get this stuff done and, and develop on the Saturn. It was all very awesome. One one bummer, there's always a freaking bummer, of course, and apparently the video got demonetized because YouTube found like four seconds of audio that got copyright flagged, and then YouTube added a whole bunch of ads to it that can't be turned off, which 
really stinks. I, that absolutely burned it burned me up when I heard about all that. So if you enjoyed the documentary as much as I did, please consider supporting Nick on Kofi. I have the link, the link right here if you're in a position to, because it just it's such a great documentary. I really wanted to I wanted to see it blow up and do very well. But unfortunately, Nick got the payment cut out from under him. And if you want to hear more about Nick, check out the interview that we did a while back. Uh, We had a bunch of fun talking about a whole bunch of different stuff. But honestly, this documentary is awesome, and I think you're all going to love it. This week's podcast is once again sponsored by JLCPCB, and since we just finished up that video series on how these awesome little LED boards were made, I want to go back and show the factory assembly tour so you can see yourself exactly what stage each of these pieces were assembled at and how they were made. So let's check it out. So, while I've never been to an assembly facility as impressive as JLC PCBs, I have been to places like it, and I can kind of walk you through what it is that you're seeing here. They have a giant warehouse of component preparation, and each shelf is numbered and corresponds to your order, so that when your order is ready, everything gets scanned in, as well as your PCBs and your stencils. And now, when you have a PCB assembly made, a stencil is required because everything's done through machinery for surface mount stuff. So a few weeks ago, I talked about having a stencil for making your own stuff on a reflow oven. Here's how it's done in a factory environment, where the machinery goes through and spreads the solder paste only on the areas of the PCB that require any of the components. Then it gets scanned through a different machine to make sure that nothing's splattered and everything lines up. And then comes my favorite part of watching these videos, the pick-and-place machine. These are different machines that go through and take individual components and place them exactly where they need to be on top of the existing solder paste. These things are so cool to see in person, and it's so interesting and fascinating to me how they get programmed to put everything in the exact place they need. But it's not quite done from there. While it's sticky on there, it won't be until it goes through the reflow oven where it's heated up to the correct temperature in order for all of the components to permanently bind to the board. Then it gets inspected to make sure there's no craziness on it and you know nothing splattered through. And then it's sent to the final through-hole assembly. And these are for scenarios like if you have a build that has a bunch of surface mount components, but then a few through-hole components like a SCART connector or a VGA connector. Those have to be soldered through by hand, and those are manually done by people on an assembly line who also do the final checks and finish it off to make sure everything looks the way it's supposed to be. Oh, and they also showed a bit in that video about wave soldering, but that's such an amazing and impressive thing that I'm going to save that for a totally different video. Next up is something that's kind of hard to describe, so I'm just going to dive right in. Developer Mike Yedley released a Genesis ROM or full cartridge pack that is a music album composed of completely original music, as well as a Windows 95 simulator not like actually booting Windows 95, but it kind of feels like Windows 95 on your Genesis with a bunch of mini games and Easter eggs and a whole bunch of other crazy stuff in here. And I had seen, somehow I had seen Mike tweet about this and uh, and realized that he had other albums out. So I purchased this one and wanted to check it out before I wrote about it because I just, I didn't quite get it when I was reading the description and I still don't quite get it, but I love it and I absolutely had to share it with everybody. Um, so you could purchase just the ROM if you're into this. You could buy the full complete inbox package. The 
I believe all of them are sold out, but there will be another batch of pre-orders opening soon. So just check out the link on Bandcamp for that or, uh, or just Mike's main pages. And if you want, there's also a video where you can kind of see Mike going through it and show you what's up with it. But honestly, you're kind of going to have to check this one out yourself in order to understand it. It's just really cool. And it even got a pretty cool shout out by Remute, who, you know, couldn't get a bigger compliment than that, right? The OG making uh, music on Genesis albums. So this was very cool. I really liked it. I I really wanted to talk about it. And, uh, you know, I liked the music by itself. It could have just been a music on a cart. But having all this extra stuff on there really made it feel like it was a worthy purchase. And on top of that, the cartridge has a beveled edge it is built properly which is something that you don't get from some mainstream new retro stuff out there now so yeah definitely highly recommend checking it out um and you know if you like cool complete in box stuff definitely pick it up but if you just want to try out the rom the itch.io link is right there and you should be able to experience it any way you'd like Developer T.W. Byrne has recently released a brand new game for the Philips CDI. And the best way to describe it, and I mean this as a compliment, of course, is like if Bomberman were in the top-down Zelda universe on the CDI. It's very neat. It's got pretty cool music. Uh, The gameplay is interesting. I enjoyed some of the puzzles. And this is another one that's been out for a while, but I really wanted to kind of test it out and see it myself first so I could really share my thoughts on it and, and not just announce a new game was released. But honestly, this is this is another one that if you're a fan of the CDI, at the very least, download the demo and check it out for yourself. You could burn it onto a CDR to play it and see what you think. But I really enjoyed it. And I also played it on a live stream if you want to see that. However, I also demoed a portable Philips CDI 370. So it's one of the clamshell style CDIs. Very rare. A friend of mine was kind enough to let me borrow it and do a live stream with it. And I also tested the Bluetooth adapter that I've been talking about that's now available for purchase at Stone Age Gamer. So while a lot of my live streams recently have been very slow paced, nerdy, you know, let's test a PC for four hours type of things. This is one that that's really closer to like, you know, if I had sat there and edited it, it could pass for a higher production video. So I think it'd be really cool for people to check out if you're interested in any of these things. If you just want to check out the game, uh, Nobiella, Nobilia, I think it's Nobilia. I'm sorry, TW. Uh, If you just want to check out the game, check out the trailer. But if you want to see the clamshell design of the CDI, at least the first few minutes of that live stream is a pre-recorded video that walks you through it. So thanks to TW for making all this awesome CDI stuff, uh, as well as the team behind the Bluetooth adapter. And hopefully this was a fun live stream that people got to enjoy. Next up, Greg from LaserBear has partnered with Darth Cloud to make a blue retro replacement board for the GameCube. And this is 100% plug and play that adds very low latency Bluetooth to your GameCube. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions did an awesome video showcasing it, but this is definitely something that GameCube fans might be interested in. Now, the lowest latency controller that's been tested with Blue Retro at the moment, I believe, is the PlayStation 
5 controller, PS4 or PS5, that's as low as under 6 milliseconds of latency, which is really awesome. So if you, as long as you check the different controller sheets, you can absolutely use this and not have to worry at all about wireless latency, which is a big deal because for years using Bluetooth with retro was just not something that anybody would, not something I'd recommend if latency mattered. If you're playing a turn-by-turn role-playing game, it's totally different, but now you can play whatever game you want and not have to worry about it. You could pair up to four different Bluetooth controllers at once, and you could still use wired controllers. As soon as a wired controller is plugged in, it'll open up the port and disconnect the Bluetooth. So it's pretty awesome. There is a ton of other features and a whole bunch of stuff that might be added in the future. So I would strongly recommend checking out Tito's video and reading this post. But honestly, I think this one's really awesome. And I love how it's plug and play and integrated all in the inside. I think it's one of those things, and this is just my opinion, totally cool if you disagree with this, but it's my opinion that if this was like a complicated mod that you had to solder ribbon cables and send it out to a professional to have it done, then I probably would have just wanted a standard plug and play Bluetooth adapter. But, you know, one of the external dongle based ones. But this, if you have a screwdriver and the tiniest bit of patience, you should easily be able to just replace the front one with this and you're good to go. Uh, I think the price is fair considering all of the things that you get with it because we are in a part shortage and lots of little components are just skyrocketing in price. So the fact that you have something that you could definitely install yourself, just pair your controller and go, I think this is really awesome and I'm very happy to see products like this. I hope to see a bunch more as well. So thank you to Greg, thank you to Darth Cloud, and thank you to Tito as well for doing a great launch video for the product. Team Encoder has just released an unofficial update for any of the big blue Arcade 1UP cabinets that supposedly helps very much reduce input lag. And it's one of those things where if you've done any kind of jailbreaking, sideloading type of thing before, it should be pretty easy. But if you've never done anything like that, it's probably a little on the nerdier side. Um, Ray has everything that you would need right here, full instructions right in the post. So if you own one of these, I would definitely take a look and see if you think it's worth the time to lower latency. I say if you see it's worth, if you think it's worth the time because of how most people use these arcade one-up cabs. And I mean this respectfully, I'm not talking down to anybody, but most people see these things as toys. Um, at least people in the retro scene, people that would be watching this podcast. You know, it's the type of thing that you know, you buy Pac-Man or something, so when you have your family friends over, the kids can play on it, or you want to just have a blast of nostalgia and play a couple of laggy rounds of Street Fighter, with, you know, weird ghosting and pixelation on the bad aspect ratio screen. I think some are actually better than others, but it's just one of those things where the average person who buys arcade one-ups either has no idea that they're laggy because it's just a quick nostalgia blast and they think they're fun, or they know what they're getting and they understand that these are more along the line of toys than anything else. Um, it is very annoying that Team Encoder has to do these updates and not, you know, arcade one-up. I just, I still don't understand how they operate the way they do, but, you know, people keep buying them, so I guess I'm wrong because if people keep buying them, why would they make them the right way. I, I, I don't know. But if you own one of these things, here's a chance to make it something that would be a little bit more playable. And I would also look into a lot of the other hacks that people have done for them to make them more of something like you'd expect from an arcade machine and less of, you know, kind of an overpriced, expensive, large toy.
I guess I was trying to be respectful, but I failed miserably, and I just shit all over the arcade one-up stuff. I, I'm sorry. I just I see what they do, and I see what they could do for very little money and effort, comparatively speaking, and it just annoys me. But either way, I really appreciate Ray writing up this guide because if you own one of these, I bet you it's it's worth doing the upgrade and getting some more speed out of it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Some more information was released about the Genesis 2 Mini. First, the pre-orders are still available for the U.S. version right in the link. Uh, You could try to import the Japanese version, but Sega is saying that there's not going to be much stock at first, or or at all, actually. And I don't know if it's because of the part shortage or if they're just trying to create a demand to get first-day sales up or something like that. Uh, Also... There is a launch video that goes through a bunch of stuff, but it's a little bit confusing because, like, they refer to Echo the Dolphin as a revamp of the classic for Sega CD. So did they mean it's the remake of the Genesis on the Sega CD enhanced version with better music, or was the this version an enhanced version? I'm not really sure. Uh, but there was a interview posted with the president of M2 that somebody was kind enough to translate right here uh, that I, I just put the link right for the Twitter post. I read all of them. It was pretty awesome to be able to get that translation. And basically there's a couple of previously unreleased games that are going to be added to it. Um, there's a few games had some updates to them, like extra music, you know, extra options. There's going to be a port of Space Harrier 2 that will not run on original hardware. The port was designed to run on a virtual, faster processor in the software emulation, so it could be a little bit closer to the arcade version. And the list of the US Sega CD and, and Genesis games are in there. Now, there are some things to discuss a little bit. First, I know a lot of people were upset that the list of games was different for Japanese and U.S. releases, so you're definitely going to want to make sure to double-check that if you're going to purchase it. But also, the interview that I read really made it seem like M2 put a ton of effort into this, and I kind of got mixed feelings, because if it's a better piece of hardware that isn't so laggy, then all right, cool, then it's worth putting all the time and effort into it. But on the flip side... This also seems like it was rushed, and there was a lot of things that they had to scramble to get in there, so wouldn't it have made more sense to to try to do something that was a little bit more ambitious, but you could have used more things on it? I don't know. I would have loved to have seen one of the, the absolutely amazing, or the amazing FPGA core for the Mr. ported over to something like this, or really, I'd love to have seen them go above and beyond, because if you're going to put that much work into something that could only be used in M2 releases, wouldn't wouldn't you have wanted to expand your horizon a bit more, and I don't know, maybe work with Sega to do downloadable games so that you could continue to purchase games and sell them afterwards, or all the things that could go into that, but I don't know. It's part of my job has always been, I mean, since my first dev job a million years ago, has always been to see the product and to see the ups and downs about it. And I'm not really sure if this was a case of, hey, this was their only choice, so they're doing their best, or if it was a case of they're not really seeing outside the box that they're staring into, which is very common for all devs around the planet. So that's not an insult. Just it is what it is. But 
I would have loved to have seen something like this be a little bit cooler. So I still think it's going to just be mostly a toy, which is still awesome. If you could afford to buy one of these and put it on your shelves as a decoration, I bet you it's going to look awesome. But as far as performance goes, I'm still curbing my expectations. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that I get to look into this camera in late October, early November and tell everybody I'm an idiot. M2 did an amazing job. The first, this is so much better than the first one, but my gut and my experience tells me it's probably going to be about the same so buy this at your own risk but i still love the nostalgia factor and it is really cool to see how much effort m2 has been putting into this one i recently posted a live stream featuring kevin mellett that talked about virtual boy accessories and homebrew games for 2022 and this is another one of these live streams that probably could have or probably should have been a higher production video but there were two factors that really made me want to push it towards a live stream and the first was i wanted kevin involved because his products have been a huge part of of the accessories and being able to do a lot of this stuff with the virtual boy uh, but also because those higher production videos are insanely time consuming and I, I'm just I'm running out of time. So I kind of had to do it this way. But if you end up watching it, I would treat the accessories part as kind of a longer form fancy video that shows all the accessories out there. And then as far as the games go, you can skip through the homebrew games to see what you like. But there are some really cool ones out there. So, you know, I just... I always try to stand in the middle of things and I see so many people think it's fun to shit all over the Virtual Boy for no reason when the truth is, yeah, there's some terrible games on it, but there's also some really cool ones. But more importantly, the homebrew scene is thriving and there's some really cool stuff going on in the Virtual Boy scene. So, you know, try to take all of the I hate Virtual Boy videos with a grain of salt and try to pay attention a little bit more to the the little, the more balanced ones like these, because I did show one or two games that were uh, like Space Invaders was terrible. There's no reason to buy that one on the Virtual Boy. Uh, you know, Red Alarm was great, but I'm not sure how well that would have aged. That's just an opinion. You could love that game, and you'd probably be right. But there's some awesome ones, and there's some retail games that that aged perfectly. Like I still think Wario is an amazing game, and I still love Mario Tennis. So, uh, if you're interested in the Virtual Boy, definitely give this one a watch and see what you think and of course everything is linked here everything i talked about everything that you you would want in this and i even linked to the original fighting uh, hyper fighting event that we did uh and the original interview with kevin and of course even though we didn't really show anything related to it in this i had to show shank's video on it because the handheld video he did was really awesome so if you're a fan of the virtual boy i recommend it and if not i don't know maybe watch it at double speed and see all the cool accessories if you're mildly curious now it's time for this week's mr news care of lou from lou's retro source i'm going to be skimming through these very quickly and if you hear anything that piques your interest please check out lou's video and of course the post um, first, Missile Command is now at a point that it's playable, so it has sound and all the dip switch options work, so you should be able to try it out if you want to use it. The Chameleon Core has been converted from simulation to an actual Mr. Core, but it has not been released at all yet, so good progress there. There is a new development and test release of the Commodore 128 Core. The Ninja, the M72 core has had Ninja Spirit and Image Fight added to it, so you could test your game, test the games by just downloading the core from GitHub. 
The PCXT core has been officially released, so you could update your Mr. Now just to obtain it. Um, and this concentrates on older PC hardware with the purpose of trying to implement the IBM PCXT as reliably as possible. Also, there is an update regarding SNK's prehistoric aisle. A post on Twitter shows the full attract screen demo playing, but the sprites still need debugging, so it's getting there. Robert just posted a, a whole write-up about the accuracy of the PlayStation Core, and it's getting even more accurate to the original. And it's so impressive to see to see these things perform equal to, or in some cases, better than the original. So just a thanks to all the devs who really sit there and not only just create the cores, but make sure that they're accurate and keep tweaking them even after their initial release. A track 17 has announced an alpha build for the arcade game Truxton 2, or uh, I probably can't pronounce that name, but the Japanese version of it. You could test it out just by downloading it from GitHub. Um, also, a new re- uh, Hotego had released a new core for Konami's Rock and Rope. Uh, at the moment, it's in beta, so it's only for Patreon subs. But as we've consistently seen over the years, Hotego releases them publicly whenever he feels like they're ready. I still like that idea. I think that's a good one. And he also mentioned that the more Patreon subscribers he gets, the then the more things that could get done because it's starting to get pretty overwhelming. He already has uh, a, somebody who's been working there that has been contributing to this. So if he reaches 4,000 Patreon subs, he'd be able to hire somebody else and push forward on things like CPS3, Mortal Kombat, and maybe even Virtua Fighter. Also, one thing to note, for just paperwork reasons, Hotego had to change his Patreon name. So all existing links should work because they're just long-form links, but anytime that you need to get directly to the Patreon, just go to forward slash Hotego. I updated all of the posts on RetroRGB. I can't remember where else I would have had it linked, so they could possibly still not point to the right one, but uh, you should be able to figure it out, no problem. Um, also, Kitrinks has released a new core for the VTech Creative Vision system, also known as the Dick Smith Wizard. Is Lou trolling me, or is that a is a Dick Smith Wizard really a thing, or is Lou trolling me right now? I could totally see Lou and Kitrinks pulling a fast one on me, but uh, anyway, uh, and there's been another bunch of miscellaneous updates as well. So as usual, I could never keep up with all of this stuff without Lou's help. So please subscribe to Lou's channel. Thanks very much to Lou for doing this. And I believe he'll be at Retro World Expo if you want to come over and say hello. The community-led fan remake of Silent Hill 2 for the PC is looking to create a proper 60 frame per second mode, and they're asking for any of your help. So if you're a developer or if you want to dig into something like trying to enhance a game to increase the frame rate, definitely check out the GitHub thread and maybe watch the video and kind of just see if this is something that you might contribute to. We've seen so many absolutely amazing homebrew projects that have far surpassed the original game devs. And that's not an insult to the, uh, an insult to the original game devs. You know, they have things like budget and deadlines and other stuff going on, whereas homebrew projects can kind of kind of take however long they need to take. So absolutely no shade thrown towards the original devs, but the fact is that this can end up being better than the original. So if you know how to work on stuff like this, please give Alex's post a read. Well, that's it for this time. Just a heads up, 
I'm definitely not going to be able to keep up with the posts while I'm doing preparation for and going to be at Retro World Expo. So um, while I'm sure the other contributors would help out a little bit, except the ones that are going to be hanging out at Retro World Expo with us, of course. But uh, next week or this coming week is probably going to be a light one for the website. So next week's podcast is probably going to be a shorter one. But I will try in my best to keep up with things if there's anything like pre-orders i'm going to try to get to those as quickly as possible i think i have i think there's one opening up this week so i'll make sure to get that post out Uh, but i just wanted to make sure that you know if you think something's missing politely let me know you know it's a anytime somebody politely gives feedback it's always taken way more seriously than you forgot that update you moron like maybe hey did you hear about this We'll get a little bit better of a response to you. But yeah, let me know if you think I forgot anything or if we forgot anything. But it's definitely going to be a lighter week or most likely going to be a lighter week than usual. So thank you for your patience. But it's going to be a big expo. I'm really excited for it. And I'm happy to be putting my my energy and all of my time towards that this week. And then it'll just jump back into business as usual. So as always, thank you to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments. And especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way possible because it is you who is keeping all this going. So thank you all very much, and I'll see you hopefully at the Expo, but if not, see you next week.